Well, we've said it many times, and we'll say it many times more, how appreciative we are of uh, this church in particular, your support, uh, your prayer, and ways too numerous to count throughout our ministry, even before that, before we left for Japan, you all have been really supportive of us and, um, and appreciative of tonight to be here with you all uh, going through God's Word together, because t- to me, that's also a support. It's, uh, it's, it's further preparation uh, for the ministry in Japan to come up here, and, and, it's, uh, and it's good for me to be here, uh, particularly with this church, looking through God's Word. So tonight, uh, we're going to be in the book of Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verse 19 to 31. In the Pew Bible, it's page 876. <clears throat> we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, Verses 19 to 31. Before we read, let's say a quick prayer. Dear Lord, we do, um, we do just thank you for uh, this time to gather together on your day to worship you, to praise your name, to glorify you. We pray that through this message, through your parable of the rich man and Lazarus, as we look through this to see your truths, to see uh, what you have uh, said uh, when you uh, came to earth, when you in your humiliation, as we read in our catechism uh, practice and review uh, earlier, in your humiliation, you came to save us from our sins. And in that time, you taught us, you loved us, you cared for us. And as we come to your parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Lord, please bless our looking at your word. Uh, by the Holy Spirit, may we understand what you are telling us. May we apply it to our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. Be with us as through uh, weak words of man, Lord, the power of your words would come through. We pray this in your name. Amen. So again, Luke chapter 16, verse 19 to 31. This is the word of God. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here. And you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. While I was in uh, Japan, I met every week. It was a Tuesday morning for a Bible study with a couple. Now, the wife was a Christian and a relatively new Christian, but the husband was not. And I forget now which topic we were talking about, but uh, I took them to this parable to help explain a point I was trying to make. 
And I read it, but the point I was trying to make was quickly lost because the husband could not get over how cruel Abraham was to this rich man. He said, why couldn't Abraham just give him a drop of water? Or why didn't he send someone to tell his brothers? And try as I might, he could not get past the perception that Abraham was merciless and cruel. Now, although his interpretation was wrong, he honed in on that one part of the parable to the exclusion of the rest of the story. And I thought to myself later, you know, I do that very same thing as I read through the parables. And that's why I enjoy preparing this sermon on the parables, because I get to study deeper the things of God that's revealed to us in the parables. And it's so easy to read through them and take at face value what you get from them. But when you look deeper and study, so much more is revealed that might not be there on the first reading. So tonight we come to the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which comes right after Jesus finishes telling his disciples the parable of the dishonest manager. Now Jesus ends that parable by telling his disciples that no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now Luke then writes that the Pharisees, and Luke makes a point to say that the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard what Jesus was saying and they ridiculed him. They ridiculed Jesus after they heard them say this. So what Jesus does, he then turns his attention to the Pharisees and he tells them, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which condemns the rich who have no concern for the poor. And so within this context, it's easy for us to read that and focus on the teaching that being selfish with your money is bad. Now, if you were to read this parable and come away with that, your time is not wasted. It's certainly a good takeaway, and it's certainly true. But I believe there's so much more to glean from this parable that I would like to, and that's what I would like to go over with you uh, this evening. And so I'd like to look at how this parable also shows us, one, where our eyes should be fixed, two, where our hearts should be set, and three, where our salvation should be found. So look again with me at verses 19 and 20. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. So in just these two verses, Jesus gives us a good picture of the two main characters in the story, the rich man and Lazarus. So as you probably know, the purple clothes and the fine linen was an outer showing of the rich man's status. The purple dye in those days were very expensive, and the purple clothes would immediately mark him as a man of great wealth to anyone who saw him. And Jesus also tells us that he not only dressed the part, but he also lived according to his wealth as well. He says he feasted sumptuously every day. Now another translation says that he was joyously living in splendor every day. So here was a man who could afford every luxury, and he spared no expense in his lavishness. Now this is in great contrast to the second character we meet, because in every way the rich man was rich, Lazarus was poor. He was absolutely destitute, 
longing only to have a few of the scraps that fell off the rich man's table, scraps that the dogs would come and eat. Not only was he penniless and starving, but he was diseased as well. He had sores covering his body that gave him untold suffering. The dogs, who were not house pet dogs, but mangy street dogs, would come by and lick his wounds. Now the ESV that we read uses moreover, the word moreover in verse 21. It says, Lazarus, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table, moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores, as adding insult to injury, further punishment upon his already um, undesirable state. But other translations say, Lazarus, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table, but even the dogs came and licked his sores. And I think this gives us another picture of what was happening here. It's that not the dogs were a further uh, punishment upon punishments. It's that the dogs were the only form of tiny relief or mercy that Lazarus got. These mangy alley dogs who would lick his sores as they passed. And see, this is in contrast to the rich man because even these mangy street dogs showed Lazarus more mercy by licking his wounds than the rich man ever showed to Lazarus. An interesting, another interesting aspect of this parable is that this is the only recorded parable where Jesus names one of his characters. Of course, the rich man remains anonymous, but the poor man is given the name Lazarus. This name loosely means the one whom God helps. Now, if you line up those two men side by side and saw them, I doubt that most of us would choose Lazarus as the one being helped by God. Because we often equate comfort and ease in this life with God being on our side and God helping us and blessing us. And it's when troubles start that we think, well, God must not be our helper anymore. After all, what loving God would allow bad things to happen to us? How can the God of all comfort forget to comfort those who follow him while those who profane his name enjoy all manner of comfort on this earth? Now in this parable, Lazarus, he saw nothing but trouble and discomfort during his time on earth. He experienced a suffering that none of us will probably ever experience. And there were no doubt that there were times when Lazarus was asking himself, how could God do this? He probably felt what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 73, which says, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. However, Lazarus' help and comfort was not of a temporary physical kind in this life, but of an eternal spiritual comfort in the life to come. We often long for a temporary physical comfort and we cry out, why? Or we get angry with God when we don't receive it. We long for this physical comfort because we forget the eternal spiritual comfort that we already have provided by Christ through Christ. As Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 through 13, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And see, I believe that Paul could be content in any situation because he learned through prayer, through faith, not to fix his eyes on his situation. He learned to firmly fix them on the promises and the works of Christ. 
So instead of being angry at God because he is hungry, Paul is grateful to God for the spiritual food and the living water given through Christ that becomes in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Instead of being tempted to despair when brought low, he rejoiced that he is held high as a son of God. In any situation of trial and despair, we must not focus on the situation, but on the promises and on the works of Christ. There's no doubt that Lazarus encouraged himself with these truths as well. He had no earthly treasures whatsoever to speak of, but he had treasures stored in heaven beyond all measure. His body was diseased, covered in sores, but his soul thrived in health and well-being. He had not even scraps to satiate his hunger, but he had a spiritual food that fully satisfied. He knew that the things that are seen are transient, fading away, but the things that are unseen, they are eternal. And so Lazarus had his eyes fixed on these promises through faith in God and was therefore truly the one whom God helps. And so we ask, what are your eyes fixed on? Are you drawn to despair by focusing on your situation? Or are you focusing on Christ who has secured for the believer a place in heaven and an eternal glory that makes any trials in this life feel light and momentary by comparison? Now, I want you to hear me. I'm not saying that your trials are light and momentary. I want you to hear me say that compared to the glory that awaits you, the trials that you are facing now feel light and momentary in comparison. Now, your eyes, are they fixed on your troubles, but not on God who has promised to work all things for the good of those who love him? Now, as I say these things, I I fully understand that in our natural condition, our fallen condition, that it is not a natural thing. When we are in the midst of troubles and trials, they are daily right before our eyes. You see, this takes wisdom from God, wisdom to understand and remember his promises in the midst of our darkest hours. Wisdom to understand and remember that Christ is sovereign over all things. And He is with you at all times. Now if this wisdom seems lost in the midst of crushing trials, do what James writes in his section on trials in uh, his chapter, chapter 1, verse 5 of of the book of James. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So fix your eyes on God. Pray for His wisdom and receive the encouragement and the comfort of His promises given graciously to all who follow Him. We, uh, we see in this next section where both the rich man and Lazarus die. Lazarus is brought to heaven by the angels. The rich man finds himself in hell. And I want to take a minute here to be clear that the rich man is not in hell because he was rich. And we know this because Abraham, who is in heaven with Lazarus, he was a very rich man in his day. So don't hear me say that wealth and money is inherently evil. It is only evil when money is placed above God in importance in our life. 1 John 3.17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? The rich man in the story is in hell because his joy was not in God, but in his money. His faith was not in God, but in his possessions and his status. 
His heart was, not, was set on his money and himself, not on God. Because of this, the rich man and Lazarus find their positions dramatically reversed. See, the rich man who once enjoyed every luxury available, he is now begging for just one drop of water for the slightest easing of his torment. And the poor man who was once begging just for one scrap of food for the slightest easing of his suffering is now enjoying all the comforts of heaven. But this reversal, it's not equal. And whereas Lazarus' suffering was temporary, the rich man's is forever. When Lazarus was separated from the rich man by the gate to the rich man's estate, there was always a shred of hope, no matter how small, that Lazarus could go through the gate and get a scrap of food that he longed to be fed with. Or that someone would come through the gate or reach through the gate, have mercy on him and give him some scraps. But this rich man is separated from Lazarus in that drop of water that he so longs for by an uncrossable chasm. There is absolutely no chance for Lazarus to get across that chasm in order to give the water to the rich man. See how vain the man's riches were without grace and how deadly the man's riches were without grace. They were vain in that his riches came to nothing, deadly in that they drew him away from Christ. See, hell is a real place. It's a place of torment from which there is no escape. There is no end. This is the real danger of the idols of our hearts. They draw us away from Christ into eternal torment. Jonah 2.8 says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. In the Bible, it has a lot of verses about the dangers of money because it is so easy for us to make idols out of money. The reality is it's easy to make an idol out of anything. It's a daily struggle of our hearts that will last until the day we die. I'm sure you've heard before about how our, our, our hearts are idol factories, constantly producing more and more idols, other idols that draw us from God. But how often do you stop and reflect on what it is in your own heart that you are putting above God today? What is your heart set on right now that's being put above Christ in importance? What is it in your heart that is drawing you away from God? Is it worrying about what others think of you? Is it your reputation? Is it your children's success? Is it your possessions? Whatever it may be, we need to daily take into account what it is we're putting ahead of God and what it is we are treating as more important than God. We need to daily go to Him and ask Him to reveal to us what the idols of our hearts are. Go to Him and go to Him in faith and repentance and be confident that He is a God, that you have a God who is quick to forgive and abounding in steadfast love. So we come back to the rich man in hell desperately trying to get some sort of relief uh, from his torment, no matter how small. Now he realizes that no relief is coming. So he asks Abraham to send somebody to tell his uh, five brothers so that they may avoid a similar fate. Look in verses 27 through 31. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. 
Notice that he is speaking with Abraham and he is asking, he's not even talking directly to Lazarus. He's saying, Abraham, send this guy to go tell my brothers. Even in this uh, situation, he is treating Lazarus with zero respect. It's just interesting to point out. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. I think we can all relate to the rich man in this part of the story. We naturally want to save our loved ones from pain. And this rich man, he's trying to do just that. He's trying to save his brothers from feeling the torment that he feels. And he wants Abraham to send Lazarus, raise him from the dead, to go tell his brothers. And Abraham responds by saying they already have Moses and the prophets, meaning the Scriptures. The rich man says, no, 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 that's not good enough. Send Lazarus and they will repent. Abraham, he stands firm. He says, if they won't listen to Scripture, they won't listen to anyone, even if they were raised from the dead. See, the rich man, he wanted something tangible to go tell his brothers with an audible voice to repent and avoid the torments of hell. And we often desire the same thing, don't we? We want signs and tangible things before we believe. The Pharisees sought the signs in Mark chapter 8. Apostle Thomas wouldn't believe that Jesus came back from the dead until he saw the holes in Jesus' hands inside. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that they can't believe in God because they've never seen any proof of their existence with their own eyes. You might as well just believe in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. It's the same thing. You see, their belief rests in what they see. Now, Jesus here, speaking to the Pharisees, were the religious leaders, and as Luke pointed out, lovers of money. They no doubt saw that their riches saw their riches and felt that God was blessing them for their strict adherence to God's law. The rich man in this story probably saw his riches and thought he was blessed. Certainly more so than Lazarus at the gate who definitely can't be in God's good graces. And it's like when the disciples saw the blind man in John chapter 9 and they asked Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? The rich man probably similarly, similarly thought, is it Lazarus' sin or his parents' sin that caused him to suffer so much? But as we know, it was the rich man who was cursed. and It was Lazarus who was blessed. The rich man's hope was in the outward signs, his wealth, his comfort, his status. So we ask, where is your hope? Do you find assurance of your salvation, of your rightness before God and your prosperity? Where do you look for your salvation? See, our salvation is found in Christ, as written in the Holy Scriptures. As Abraham says in this parable, even if someone were to rise from the dead... Yet they do not heed the Scriptures. They would not be convinced of their need to repent and turn to Christ. I'm sure when you hear the name uh, Lazarus, if you read in your bulletin or or saw earlier, uh, you probably thought about another Lazarus in the Bible who was raised from the dead, John chapter 11. You maybe even thought about Christ's resurrection. Now in both of these stories, there were witnesses to these events who still did not believe. You see, signs hold no authority or ability to affect the heart 
as Scripture does. Scripture is wholly sufficient for salvation. And I want to say two things concerning this. The first is for those here who may have not yet called on God as their Lord and Savior. Those who may have not given their life to Christ in faith that He has saved you from your sins through His death and resurrection. And that's this. Read the Bible. Read about the love of God in sending His only Son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. Read about the mercy of Christ who saved us while we were still His enemies. Read about the grace of Christ who knew no sin, yet became sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Read about the compassion of God who not only saved us from our sins, but adopted us as sons and daughters so that we receive the inheritance of eternal life in heaven where there is no more suffering, there is no more sickness, there is no more sorrow or death. You see, these scriptures, the Bible, is the very Word of God, and it's truth, and it is life. The second thing are to those who do call on God as their Lord and Savior. Those who do have faith and believe that Christ came to die on the cross to save you from your sins. And that is this. Read the Bible. Grow in the grace that you have been called to. Read the Bible in thankfulness that God has given us His very Word. Read the promises of God and be comforted in your darkest days because you have an eternal crown of glory that cannot be taken away. Read the works of God and rejoice that by nothing in and of yourself, but by His grace, He has called you to Himself. Now this parable, it it serves as a harsh warning to some, but I hope an encouragement to others. But I don't want you to miss the urgency of the warning that's in this parable. The death of this rich man was likely a sudden one because he was survived by all five of his brothers. And we don't know when we'll die. We don't know um, when that will happen. But we do know that when it does, it is too late to change anything. The chasm is too wide to cross for even one drop of water for the easing of torment. I don't say this as a weak attempt to scare anyone into repentance. But I say this in order to point you to Christ who died on the cross to save His people from that place. I quoted this earlier, and I'll quote it again. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, We implore you, implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. I also hope that this parable is an encouragement to you. And I don't know the different trials or sufferings that are taking place in your life right now, But I do know that comfort and encouragement and strength to persevere is contained here in the Word of God. Again, Lazarus had untold suffering in his whole life, yet fixed his eyes on the glory to come. He set his heart on the promises of God. And we have even more than what Lazarus had in this parable. We have the Gospels that tell us of how Christ came, that one day all of our suffering be completely taken away. Therefore, fix your eyes firmly on Christ, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Set your heart firmly on Christ and place Him first in all things, because only in Him is found true comfort. 
Even if you aren't suffering or going through any difficult trials now, fix your eyes and set your hearts on Him. Don't let the blessings of God become idols of the heart. Use them for God's glory. With eyes fixed on God, He brings us through any trial. With hearts set on God, He destroys any idol. With our faith and hope resting in God, He gives us assurance that one day we will be sitting at Abraham's side, free from any pain, free from any sickness, free from any sorrow, and free from death. Let's pray. Lord, we just came to come to you in just thankfulness and gratitude and humility that you would give us these things. As Dr. McWilliams preached this morning, just the abundance of your blessings in adopting us as your children. Lord, we can go on and on of, a, of just how every aspect of what you've done for us has heaped blessing upon blessing upon us. We just thank you and praise your name uh, for that and many more. And just praise you for your glorious mercies upon us, Lord. We pray that we remember these things. We pray for your holy wisdom, that in the trials we remember the promises, remember the truths, remember your love, remember your mercy, your comfort, your encouragement, everything that you have given to us for our benefit. Lord, we just thank you for who you are, that you provided these things for us, Lord. Forgive us that we constantly let idols come before you, that we follow the idols of our hearts before you. Lord, forgive us of those things. Strengthen us, continually grow us more and more each day. Strengthen us to die to the old man, to live, uh, to renew us in the whole man. Make us more like you, more like Christ every day. So when we do face trials, when we do face temptations, when we do face hardships, Lord, we are not brought to despair. We are not brought... uh, to hopelessness, Lord, but we were brought to you. We are brought to the foot of the cross. We are brought to the hope found in you and you alone, to the comfort found in you and you alone. We just pray this for us, Lord. Be with those who are suffering today. Be with those who have untold sufferings, those who have unknown sufferings. Lord, help them to see your comfort, your truths, your goodness in these sufferings. Help us all to see that. Help us all to see those things clearly before our face, as clear as we see any trial or any hardships, to feel them stronger than we feel any trials or pain. Lord, be with us as we go from here to not only feel this personally, not only know this personally, but give us the strength and boldness to tell others, to share this with others, to spread your name, your glory, all that you have given to us with others. Pray that they would come to know this is truth. Come to know your scriptures as your true word. Bring them to you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.